For all you elk hunters out there, chasing turkeys is basically the same thing. I know the reaction you just gave me, but don't knock it till you try it and don't try it without OnX. The Hunt app will not only help you find new areas on public ground, but I use it to find out landowner info to get permission on private ground that I see birds on as well. OnX Hunt has a special offer for you. Use code CAL to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com slash hunt and find more birds this spring. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. Simply pour a can in your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. That's seafoamworks.com to learn more. From Mediator's World News Headquarters in Bozeman, Montana, this is Cal's Week in Review, presented by Steel. Steel products are available only at authorized dealers. For more, go to steeldealers.com. Now, here's your host, Ryan Cal Callahan. In April of 2021, yes, that's how long it takes news to get up here, a 30-year-old Brazilian fisherman outside of Brasilandia de Minas drowned in a farm pond while escaping a swarm of bees. When his body was recovered, his face and other presumably exposed parts were found to be eaten by piranha. Authorities are not sure if the water or the piranha killed the fisherman first. It is safe to assume he wasn't a buzzkill. The deceased man's two fishing partners were tight-lipped. He can't do that. Well, he just, uh, did. Yes, those are morbid puns, but please don't think that they are aimed at anyone's back. Everyone here has full rights to do the same to me if I am fortunate enough to go out while fishing. The listener that sent that one in says they are second-guessing future trips to South America. This week... We've got Immaculate Condorception, the Crime Desk, and Ask Cal emails. But first, I'm going to tell you about my week. And my week, well, you know, the highlights are one big pheasant. Pheasants are harder and harder to kill the later in the season it gets, which makes them even more precious. Killing pressured pheasants takes athleticism, stamina, luck, and some outside-of-the-box thinking. Snort is, I believe, or I want to believe, a real pheasant-oriented dog. She is starting to think about outsmarting birds versus just thinking that she'll randomly bump into them. Watching her work bird scent is incredibly fun, just a serious highlight. 
She will run her nose tight to the ground or prance up on the tips of her toes with her nose in the air. She won't work only one direction. She's able to second guess herself. She'll hit the back trail long enough to determine it is indeed a back trail. Then she'll turn around and give me this look that says, I'm going to find this one. You better keep up. We're still averaging about nine and a half miles a walk, and my shooting hot streak is back to lukewarm. Other than that brief snort report, the week was largely dominated by corned goose. Christmas is coming. Corn is a reference to a possible unit of measure for salt. To corn something is to cure it in salt. But what I want from corning something, what I have been lusting after, is corned beef. I am and always have been a lover of corned beef briskets, simmered for hours, served with potatoes and cabbage, healthy bit of butter and vinegar on top of the whole mess. Oh, mama. Then, of course, you take that brisket, you cut it real thin, You layer it with great attention to detail on rye bread with sauerkraut, Thousand Island dressing, yellow mustard, and Swiss cheese. My grandma Nancy used to fuel my hunting excursions with bread sacks full of Reuben sandwiches. That is what I want when I corn something. And with help from my friends at the Wagon Wheel in Oroville, California, I have achieved corned beef with goose. Texture, flavor, overall sandwich ability it is just the best thing going and if you feel like i'm full of it and you want to question myself and the method i'm just going to lay the gauntlet down for you and tell you that i have consumed three canada goose breasts this week you can look forward to the article and the how-to in the near future at TheMeatEater.com, which is coincidentally something to keep in mind if you are from ohio but we'll get to that later. First off, some listener emails. We just got a letter. Wonder who it's from. Trevor writes in, My dad drew a rifle bull elk here in Idaho this last season, and we were successful. While cutting one of the back straps, we noticed pockets of pus surrounding an arrow that had been in his back a long time. Turns out that arrow was tipped with a mechanical broadhead, which is illegal in the state of Idaho. First question from Trevor is, what do you shoot? Response, Trevor, what are you getting at, dude? Secondly, he asks, what is more ethical? A mechanical broadhead with the possibility of a better wound channel or something that the animal can remove if a bad shot is made? So barbed broadheads are illegal just about everywhere. A barbed broadhead is really like the thing that an animal can't remove. Mechanical broadheads are supposed to collapse on themselves after opening up so they can be removed. If you ever shoot a mechanical broadhead into a field target, it should show you that. I prefer fixed blade broadheads. I have killed some animals in the past with mechanical broadheads. Almost without exception, there would be something broken on the broadhead. And I just didn't like that. The animal would be dead. That's great. That's the whole point. The broadhead did its job, but I just didn't like that. I'd always found like a broken blade in the animal or something weird. Anyway, I'm a big believer in fixed blade broadheads. Really like the two bladers. Maybe throw some bleeder veins on there if you want to get crazy. 
but that is my preference. Donnie writes in, What's your system for caring for birds when you're traveling on hunting trips? Coolers, gutting, plucking, storage. Especially for birds you intend to pluck and wax when you get home. I've lost a couple nice birds recently to spoilage when on multi-day hunting trips. I need a better way. Donnie, here's the deal, man. You need air circulation and a continual drop in temperature until you get to like that relatively food safe zone. All the feathers on birds are excellent, excellent insulators. So if you want to be serious and very legal, according to our federal migratory bird regulations, this is what you should do. This is the method that I use, right? So in order to legally transport migratory birds, you have to leave on a fully feathered wing or a fully feathered head. No exceptions. This conundrum makes it hard to stack up a ton of birds if you don't have a ton of space. So keep that in mind. Almost without question, the easiest thing to do is take a pair of pruning shears, split the bird all the way up the back, crunching right through the spinal bone, right? I use steel pruning shears. They're awesome. Take them with me everywhere I go. Super easy to clean. Do a great job on birds. You crack that bird open and you can dump all the guts out, saving the hardened gizzard, of course. And then your bird's instantly cooling. The next best thing to do, and this is where it gets tough, is you really should pluck the bird. Okay, if you can't pluck the bird, get it hanging so it's got full air circulation that will aid in the cooling down process. And then when you go to packaging, you need to assure that those birds are not sitting in a bunch of water. Okay, you want to maintain that air circulation and cooling. And you need to label your birds. Okay, you can't be like over the top with this stuff. So if you have a big cooler and you have all your birds in a cooler, you need to identify how many birds are in this cooler per species, the date that they were shot, and it needs to have your license number, your address, phone number, and name on there. And then if you individually package those birds within that cooler, okay, you need to individually label them with that same information, okay? And every bird on there, in there, has to have a fully feathered wing or a fully feathered head attached to the meat. So you can get fancy and you can break birds down and just leave the skin attached to either the head or the wing, and that will reduce your overall weight, right? But if you want to do like major packaging when you get home, for the long haul, like the last birds of the season type of thing, you really just need to pluck them where you are. There's no way around it. Bring a vacuum sealer, bring butcher's paper, and just be prepared to process on the road. But keep in mind, if you individually package for home, each individual package while you are traveling, while you're not at your primary residence, on which you are taxed and you receive mail and your vehicle is registered to, that primary residence, if you're not there, each one of those birds has to have a fully feathered wing or a fully feathered head, and it needs to have the species on like a nice little card, and you can like self-laminate with packing tape, the date it was shot, your license number, and your personal info, residence, phone number, attached to every bird. 
if you're going to individually package. That's just the way it is with migratory birds. It's a lot of processing. And, I mean, it's, it's just a significant portion of the day. But it's good meat. It's worth it. I'm planning another trip right now. Our trip to North Dakota a few weeks ago, man, we spent as much time processing as probably half the time we were hunting. Easily. That's all I got for you, Donnie. All right, last up. Chickamaugan Nicolette National Forest. Or, as they call it, Schwamagan, possibly. Schwamagan. Swimming, salmon, salmon, swanson, swanson? Maybe it's on the briefcase. Look on the... Oh, yeah! It's right here. Samsonite. I was way off. C-H-E-Q-U-A-M-E-G-O-N. Schwamagan. My good friend Jim Heffelfinger sent me in a, uh, I would say, satirical peer-reviewed paper that states, Out-of-state recreationalists mispronounced Schwamagan in 75% of cases. Wisconsin residents mispronounced the word in 62% of cases, mainly due to alcohol-induced slurring. That falls in the correction category. Next up, cranes. Okay, been talking a lot about cranes. Sandhill cranes are awesome. Very cool animals. Been around for at least two and a half million years in the form that we know them as. They're very tasty, like I said. Super cool animals. Ann Lacey of the International Crane Foundation, located in Baraboo, Wisconsin, got a hold of me in regards to last week's podcast and set me straight on a couple of things that I messed up. One of these things I knew I was messing up. The population of sandhill cranes is not 500,000 birds. The eastern population is separate from the central flyway. The eastern population is about 95,000 birds. Furthermore, on behalf of the International Crane Foundation, which sounds like a super cool nonprofit to get behind if you're uh, out in that neck of the woods or anywhere for that matter, they are migratory. They go everywhere. Would like to kind of set the record straight on slow to mature and low productivity. All right. So we've talked a lot about this and tons of shark species, turtles, all sorts of things that are really going extinct. The combination of slow to mature and low productivity makes species very, very hard to manage and easy to wipe out. Your sandhill cranes can generally be put in a few categories. All right. One to three years of age, they're non-breeding. Three plus years of age, they're capable of breeding, technically, but they also need to find a mate, they need to pair up, and they need to find territory, and they just need to get good at the act of mating and rearing young. That's impossible, even for a computer. It's not impossible. I used to bullseye womp rats in my T-16 back home. On average, they're going to produce two eggs. One or none actually make it to the fledgling state. On top of that, these birds need a huge territory because their reproduction is based on a territory. So even if they're paired up, they're sexually mature, they need to find the space to nest. A lot of this space is you got to fight for it, right? It's in high competition. So this is a very brief synopsis. I'd encourage you to check out the International Crane Foundation. From the hunting perspective, I still feel like we can hunt and we can figure this out with our big brains. I think it would be absolutely asinine 
to throw this information by the wayside. It's taken a long time to recover this species. And recover is, you know, a moving target type of word. Slow to mature, low productivity, proceed with caution. Thank you very much for writing in, and pleasure talking to you as well. Which of you listening right now took a class in school about family finances 101? No one? Me neither. Like the importance of a will or a college savings plan or even life insurance or estate planning, we have to know these things. But how do we figure it all out? That's why I'm excited to partner with Fabric by Gerber Life. Life insurance is important to me because I don't want to be a burden on anyone ever, especially when I'm dead and I can't chip in to, you know, lift heavy things and do stuff like that. That's why I have life insurance. And I know you don't want to be a pain in the ass because you're listening to my podcast. So get life insurance. Fabric by Gerber Life is term life insurance you can get done right here, right now. You could be covered from your couch in under 10 minutes with no health exam required. If you've got kids, and especially if you're young and healthy, the time to lock in low rates is now. Join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meetfabric.com slash cal. That's meetfabric.com slash cal. M-E-E-T fabric.com slash cal policies issued by western southern life assurance company not available in certain states prices subject to underwriting and health questions now a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition of eating you know some organ the heart or a chunk of liver off the first animal you kill i had that when i was a little kid and it was a big deal Organ meats were always prized by frontier people who knew the importance of getting a lot of different minerals and nutrients. And, as often is the case, those guys were on to something. Because organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. And you can get the same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil made exclusively from regeneratively raised, grass-fed, and finished cattle. Heart and Soil's unique freeze-drying process means all those important nutrients are trapped in, ensuring you experience every one of the benefits of nature's superfood in a clean, convenient, taste-free capsule. Find out more at heartandsoil.co and make sure to use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. That's heartandsoil.co. Use the code MEATEATER. We've all seen plenty of gadgets and fads come and go, but here's one product that stood the test of time. Seafoam Motor Treatment. Lots of hunters and anglers know that seafoam helps engines run better and last longer. It's really simple. When you pour it in your gas tank, Seafoam cleans harmful fuel deposits that cause engine problems. I'm talking common stuff like hard starts, rough engine performance, or lost fuel economy. Seafoam is an easy way to prevent or overcome these problems. Just pour a can in your gas tank and let it clean your fuel system. You probably know someone who has used a can of seafoam to get their truck or boat going again. I guarantee you've listened to them because I use it you know, regularly. People everywhere rely on seafoam to keep their trucks, boats, and small engines running the way they should the entire season. Help your engine run better and last longer. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. Okay, moving on to the law enforcement desk. 
In Ohio, the Department of Natural Resources busted a wild game processing outfit that was selling venison from poached deer and stealing venison from hunters who paid to have game processed. In total, A&E Processing is alleged to have poached 30 white-tailed deer in Ohio and stolen over 700 pounds of meat from hunters. If this isn't an argument for processing your own meat. Eight people connected to the poaching ring were charged in the investigation for crimes ranging from illegal sale of wild animal parts, to money laundering, to telecommunications fraud, to hunting with illegal equipment. In total, the Ohio Attorney General's office is doling out 91 criminal counts. The AG's office, that's Attorney General, also told Meat Eaters Travis Hall that the charges include five people who worked for A&E Processing and three who were supplying the company with wild game meat via poaching. Deer hunting is a deep-rooted tradition in Ohio, with generations having been taught the values of conservation, responsibility, and discipline, said Ohio Attorney General David Yost. Additionally, he said, this level of corruption violates those tenets, and protecting and preserving this part of our heritage are important, to all sportsmen and women. But the AG's office wouldn't tell us much more about this case since the investigation is ongoing. But all eight individuals have been indicted by a grand jury, which means there's at least enough evidence to go to trial. Since many of these crimes are felonies, prison time is definitely on the table. According to a Facebook post from September 17, A&E Processing charged a very reasonable $55 fee to process and package a white tail, $75 if you want it vacuum sealed. They also offered Ohio capes for $10 and out-of-state capes for $35. The Ohio AG wouldn't say how long any processing had been stealing meat, but a little back-of-the-napkin mass suggests they cheated a lot of hunters for a little or a few hunters for a lot. If an average white tail yields 60 pounds of meat, a processor could expect to skim... I don't know, let's say five pounds off the hunter. If A&E processing stole 700 pounds of meat, they likely took venison from, let's say, 140 deer. That example is a healthy dose of speculation, but it's enough to say that anyone who used A&E processing should probably think they got pilfered a little bit. And anyone who hunts in Ohio should take note of the 30 deer poached out of season by illegal means. There are many reputable butcher shops, and I will guarantee that all of them have stories of people leaving game meat, no-showing, skipping out on the butcher's bill. This is the case of a bad butcher shop. And I need to point out that in order to make a sale, you also need a willing buyer, not just a willing seller. There is no such thing as, quote, wild deer for sale in the USA, outside of Maui Nui venison which is strictly axis deer, so the next time your well-meaning neighbor says, Hey, I love elk or deer or ducks. Let me buy some off you. Don't just say no and give them a package. Say no, they can't buy it off you, and tell them why. And if you want to see firsthand what folks pay a processor to do, well, I happen to know a website that can help you out with processing your own game meat. Next up, officers in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, had their hands full when a cow moose burst through a window at Sylvia Fedoric School. Sylvia Fedoric was, of course, the 17th lieutenant governor of Saskatchewan, don't you know? But, wait, there's more. 
Fedorik, daughter of Ukrainian immigrants, also has her name on the Sylvia Fedorik Center for Nuclear Radiation. Thankfully, no moose broke into anything there. It is also possible that to break into Sylvia Fedorik School, which is located in the community of Evergreen, Saskatoon, the moose had to travel down Sylvia Fedorik Drive, then head south to, uh, you know, perform the breaking and entering, or B&E, which is a much cooler way of saying it. I'm going to give you to the count of ten to get your ugly, yellow, no-good keister off my property before I pump your guts full of lead. But we're not done with Sylvia, who is a two-time Hall of Famer. Once for medicine, Fedoric's work on studying radiation depth and penetration was critical to treating cancer through cobalt-60 radiation therapy, and, more Canadianly, her second Hall of Fame nod was, of course, for curling. Fedoric was inducted into the Canadian Curling Hall of Fame in 1986, Now, you may be asking yourself, what about the moose? Well, according to Radio 92.9, the bull, the cops tranquilized it in the community room, got it out of the school, and nobody was hurt, and they are gonna set it free. But here's the better question. The next time someone asks, what's bigger than a moose? I think you should say Sylvia Fedoric. Holy cow, moose. (laughs) Only in Canada, I'll tell you. You know, now that I say that out loud, the bigger than a moose part, uh, I could see how folks may not think that's a compliment. This lady that I just learned about, she's very impressive. Moving on. Two hunters were busted trespassing on a secluded private island owned by hedge fund titan Lewis Bacon near the uber-exclusive area of New York's Southampton. After one of the caretakers on Robbins Island spotted an unfamiliar trail cam, he searched the vicinity and discovered Scott Russell and Kurt Jorgensen mid-hunt. One of them up in a tree stand, the other prone on the ground, presumably trying to disappear. Investigators later turned up a mountain of hunting gear, a 12-foot aluminum boat with a battery-powered motor, several tree stands, as well as a tethered saddle hunting setup, a half dozen trail cams, compound bows, crossbows with missing bolts, tents, bags of food, and jugs of water, commercial deer urine attractant, and the standard gear for processing game once the deal is done. Local hunters might wonder why Russell and Jorgensen had gone to so much trouble, as deer all over the Hamptons are thicker than mosquitoes. Well, in 1997, the island's owner, Louis Bacon, granted a conservation easement over the entire property to the Nature Conservancy, and since then, it has been managed as a private game preserve. Therefore, according to New York Newsday, the island is home to at least a dozen rare albino deer, as well as several 25-point bucks. So, you know, I condemn trespassing and poaching in the strongest possible terms, but sneaking onto a private island a couple hundred yards off the mainland to bag a 25-pointer? I can see the draw. Bacon is a pretty interesting guy, He bought the island at a bankruptcy auction in 93 for $11 million, and local real estate pros estimate that today it would sell for at least $500 million. Man, I bet you'd wished uh, you'd been that prudent the last time you had $11 bucks lying around, huh? Can't go back in time. In addition to putting Robbins Island into trust, Bacon also donated more than half of his 180,000-acre Colorado ranch to the Sangre de Cristo Conservation Area the single largest conservation easement grant in U.S. fish and wildlife history. 
And going a bit off topic for the week in review, Bacon has also been locked in a years-long feud with his neighbor in the Bahamas, the very flamboyant clothing magnate Peter Nygaard, who has been accused of sexual misconduct as many times as most people brush their teeth. It would take an hour to go through all the parts of that story, but suffice it to say that at one particularly contentious point of the battle, Nygaard hired a crowd to march through the streets of Nassau with signs accusing Bacon of being in the KKK. If you are into stories of rich egomaniacs going completely off the rails, Google Louis Bacon versus Peter Nygaard and enjoy. But back to our bread and butter of hunters breaking the law, Russell and Jorgensen have been charged with poaching and trespassing violations, and I would bet that having a litigious billionaire after them is going to make the next couple years pretty steep. We will be there to bring you any further developments. And finally, over to Tennessee. The TWRA, or Tennessee Wildlife Resource Agency, caught a man in possession of 74 doves, It was determined that he had been shooting doves over bait, and speaking of over, 15 is the daily bag limit for morning doves in Tennessee, and the possession limit is three times the daily bag limit. Although I could not find an actual definition of what possession means in Tennessee, because that definition does vary from state to state, and doves are federally regulated migratory birds, and the federal regs say do not exceed the possession limit while in the field or on your way from the field, so it is likely that this bait station shooter was over his possession limit, as well as shooting over bait. Another interesting thing, the state of Tennessee does state that on opening day, a hunter's possession limit is 15, which is the daily bag limit. On the second day of the season, a hunter's possession limit is twice the daily bag limit, which would be 30. You keeping up? And on the third day of the season, it is three times the daily bag limit, which is 45, which implies that you better not have any dove in the freezer come opening day. This overage and baiting earned the shooter $500 in fines and fees and a loss of hunting privileges for one year. Here's a fun fact for you. The most hunted migratory bird is dove. In Tennessee, roughly 16,000 dove hunters harvest 250,000 doves in a season. Nationwide, 42 states have a morning dove season, and some 20 million doves are harvested annually, making them the most taken game in the United States. What's more, the morning dove population continues to grow. And I did not bag a single dove this year. Moving on, big surprises over at the Condor desk, or what I'd like to call Immaculate Condorception. Scientists with the San Diego Zoo recently discovered two California condors who had been born through asexual reproduction, or parthenogenesis, meaning these birds had a mom, but mom was a solo flyer, so to speak. A real get-things-done-on-her-own type. No males required. We've talked about parthenogenesis before, but never explained the term itself. Well, we probably have, but listen anyway. The ancient Greek word parthenos means virgin, and genesis means creation. So together, the word means birth of offspring from an animal who hasn't had sex. Literally, it means virgin creation, but in the world of science, the translation is offspring without sex. 
when you hear Parthenogenesis, you might hear a similarity to the name of the famous ancient temple in Athens, Greece, the Parthenon. And that's not by accident. The Greek goddess Athena was known as the Virgin Goddess. Parthenon literally means Temple of the Virgin. Bet you didn't expect to tune in this week and hear about condors and ancient Greek gods in the same segment. But those are the quality week in review juxtapositions you've come to know and love, right? You love them. Asexual reproduction is almost always a matter of necessity. For example, a population of female Komodo dragons or bonnethead sharks gets isolated from males. They develop an egg that hasn't been fertilized, and that egg becomes a viable offspring with genes only from the mother. But in this case, both of these female condors were in captivity and housed with fertile males. And both of these female condors had bred with males in the past, but not this time. So this is one of the only examples of parthenogenesis in the presence of viable male mates, which, if you're one of those male condors, you've got to be pretty bummed, right? Sort of a wouldn't-even-if-you-were-the-last-man-on-earth kind of scenario. A classic viable-don't-mean-desirable scenario. That's one you incels get. As you may have guessed, with two viable males in with the females, this discovery was by accident. They weren't studying reproduction and testing every hatchling. In fact, the hatchlings the two condors created asexually, known as parthenotes, by the way, were born in 2001 and 2011, and both of them died a few years later without ever reproducing. Instead, scientists discovered these two because they have been putting together a complete picture of the genetics of every California condor in existence, and in the course of this mapping project, they came across these two individuals who had genes, lo and behold, only from their dams, which is the name for a mother bird. We don't have this kind of full genetic picture for many other species on Earth, and it was only made possible because of how endangered condors are. Easter Sunday, 1987, the last wild condor was captured, one of only 22 remaining in existence. Those survivors were bred in captivity, and beginning in the early 90s, they were reintroduced in the wild. By 2019, there were 219 condors in captivity and 306 flying free in California, Arizona, and Utah. Scientists have therefore been able to study this remaining limited population extremely closely, and they've managed to take samples of tissue from a very large percentage of these birds. That genetic information has guided condor recovery, telling scientists which pairs might be bred successfully, which populations might be in danger of inbreeding, and so on. Of course, the dams that we've been talking about said, back off, Doc, we'll take it from here. Over $35 million have been spent on condor research in the lab and in the field. Extraordinary measures have been taken to get this species up and stable again. And, as you likely know, the banning of lead bullets across the range of the condor in California in an effort to end one singular cause of condor mortality, which is ingesting lead when the birds feed on carrion, left over from animals that hunters have killed, is a great example of how animals on the endangered species list can affect even those folks who don't care about a species' success. We need to work hard to keep these animals from ever getting on the endangered species list. Now, one of the coolest parts of this recent discovery is the possibility 
that maybe parthenogenesis isn't so rare among species after all. Maybe it's just that we have a comparatively tiny amount of DNA information on all the other species on Earth. Maybe if we could see into the full genetic picture of rattlesnakes and zebras and butterflies and deep-sea anglerfish and lonely old dudes up in the Arctic Circle or something, we would see that parthenogenesis is all over the place. Think about that the next time you hear the term DIY. That's all I've got for you this week. Thank you so much for listening. As per usual, let me know what I got right or wrong or tell me what's going on in your neck of the woods by writing in to A-S-K-C-A-L. That's askcal at themeateater.com. And it's starting to get cold. If your wood supply is in short supply, get your butt down to the nearest steel dealer. You can find a local, knowledgeable, helpful steel dealer near you by going to www.steeldealers.com. Trust those folks. They will get you set up with what you need and steer you clear of what you don't. Thanks again. I'll talk to you next week. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. Simply pour a can in your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. Pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. That's SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. Hey, I just sat down with the owners and operators of Maui Nui Venison. They're on a mission to balance access deer populations on Maui while giving back to the community and run a totally sustainable operation. For folks like me who want to get your own meat but aren't always successful, you can become a snack subscriber, get some access deer sticks, sent right to your door visit mauinuivenison.com that's m-a-u-i-n-u-i venison.com and use promo code cal for 20 percent off your first order